Chapter 3 of Zadig. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Lucy Burgoyne. Zadig, or the Book of Fate, by Voltaire. Chapter 3 The Dog and the Horse. Zadig found by experience, that the first thirty days of matrimony, as tis written in the book of Zend, is honeymoon, but the second is all wormwood. He was obliged, in short, as Azora grew such a termagant, to sue out a bill of divorce, and to seek his consolation for the future, in the study of nature. Who is happier, said he, than the philosopher, who peruses with understanding that spacious book, with the supreme being has laid open before his eyes. The truths he discovers there are of infinite service to him. He thereby cultivates and improves his mind. He lives in peace and tranquility all his days. He is afraid of nobody, and he has no tender indulgent wife to shorten his nose for him. Wrapped up in these contemplations, he retired to a little country house on the banks of the Euphrates. There he never spent his time in calculating how many inches of water run through the arch of a bridge in a second of time, or in inquiring if a cube line of rain falls more in the mouse month than in that of the ram. He formed no projects for making silk gloves and stockings out of spiders' webs, nor of china ware out of broken glass bottles, but he pried into the nature and properties of animals and plants, and soon, by his strict and repeated inquiries, he was capable of discerning a thousand variations in visible objects that others less curious imagined were all alike. One day, as he was taking a solitary walk by the side of a thicket, he espied one of the Queen's eunuchs, which several of his attendants, coming towards him, hunting about, in deep concern, both here and there, like persons almost in despair, and seeking with impatience for something lost of the utmost importance. Young man, said the Queen's chief eunuch, have not you seen, pray, Her Majesty's dog? Zadig very coolly replied, You mean her bitch, I presume? You say very right, sir, said eunuch. Tis a spaniel bitch indeed, and very small, said Zadig. She has had puppies too lately. She's a little lame with her left forefoot, and has long ears. By your exact description, sir, you must doubtless have seen her, said Eunuch, almost out of breath. But I have not, sir, notwithstanding, neither did I know, but by you, that the Queen ever had such a favourite bitch. Just at this critical juncture, so various are the turns of fortune's wheel, the best palfrey in all the king's stable had broke loose from the groom, 
and got upon the plains of Babylon. The head huntsman, with all his inferior officers, were in pursuit after him, with as much concern as eunuch about the bitch. The head huntsman addressed himself to Zadig, and asked him whether he hadn't seen the king's palfrey run by him. No horse, said Zadig, ever galloped smoother. He is about five foot high. His hoofs are very small. His tail is about three foot six inches long. The studs of his bit are of pure gold, about twenty-three carats, and his shoes are of silver, about eleven penny weight apiece. What course did he take, pray, sir? Whereabouts is he, said the huntsman. I never sat eyes on him, replied Zadig. Not I, neither did I, here before now, that his majesty had such a palfrey. The head huntsman, as well as the head eunuch, upon his answering their interrogatories, so very exactly, not doubting in the least, but that Zadig had clandestinely conveyed both the bitch and the horse away, secured him, and carried him before the Grand Desterham, who condemned him to the knout, and to be confined for life in some remote and lonely part of Siberia. No sooner had the sentence been pronounced, but the horse and bitch were both found. The judges were in some perplexity in this odd affair, and yet thought it absolutely necessary, as the man was innocent, to recall their decree. However, they laid a fine upon him of four hundred ounces of gold, for his false declaration of his not having seen what doubtless he did, and the fine was ordered to be deposited in court accordingly, on the payment whereof he was permitted to bring his cause onto a hearing before the Grand Desterham. On the day appointed for that purpose, he opened the cause himself, in terms to this or the like effect. Yea, bright stars of justice, yea, profound abbess of universal knowledge, yea, mirrors of equity, who have you the solidity of bleed, the hardness of steel, the luster of a diamond, and resemblance of the purest gold, since ye have condescended so far as to admit of my address to this august assembly, I here, in the most solemn manner, swear to you by Horace Maids that I never saw the Queen's illustrious bitch, nor the sacred palfrey of the King of Kings. I'll be ingenuous, however, and declare the truth, and nothing but the truth. As I was walking by the thicket's side, where I met with Her Majesty's most venerable chief, eunuch, and the king's most illustrious chief, huntsman, I perceived upon the sand the footsteps of an animal, and I easily inferred that it must be a little one. The several small, though long ridges of land between the footsteps of the creature gave me just grounds to imagine it was a bitch whose teats hung down, and for that reason I concluded she had but lately pupped. As I observed, likewise, some other traces, 
in some degree different, which seemed to have grazed all the way upon the surface of the sand, on the side of the forefeet. I knew well enough she must have had long ears, and for as much as I discerned with some degree of curiosity that the sand was everywhere less hollowed by one foot in particular than by the other three, I conceived that the bitch of our most august queen was somewhat lamish, if I may presume to say so. As to the palfrey of the King of Kings, give me leave to inform you that as I was walking down the lane by the thicket side, I took particular notice of the prints made upon the sand by a horse's shoes, and found that their distances were in exact proportion. From that observation I concluded the palfrey galloped well. In the next place, the dust of some trees in a narrow lane, which was but seven foot broad, was here and there swept off, both on the right and on the left, about three feet and six inches from the middle of the road, for which reason I pronounced the tail of the palfrey to be three foot and a half long, with which he had whisked off the dust on both sides as he ran along. Again I perceived under the trees, which formed a king of bower of five feet high, some leaves that had been lately fallen on the ground, and I was sensible the horse must have shook them off, from whence I conjectured he was five foot high. As to the bits of his bridle, I knew they must be of gold, and of the value I mentioned, for he had rubbed the stubs upon a certain stone, which I knew to be a touch stone, by an experiment that I had made of it. To conclude, by the prints which his shoes had left of some flint stones of another nature, I concluded his shoes were silver, and of eleven penny weight fineness, as I before mentioned. The whole bench of judges stood astonished at the profundity of Zadig's nice discernment. The news was soon carried to the king and the queen. Zadig was not only the whole subject of the court's conversation, but his name was mentioned with the utmost veneration in the king's chambers and his privy council and notwithstanding several of their magic declared he ought to be burnt for a sorcerer, yet the king thought proper that the fine he had deposited in court should be peremptorily restored. The clerk of the court, the tipstaffs, and other petty officers waited on him in their proper habit, in order to refund the four hundred ounces of gold. Pursuant to the king's express order, modestly reserving only three hundred and ninety ounces part thereof to defray the fees of the court, and the domesticks swarmed about him likewise, in hopes of some small consideration. Zadig, upon winding up of the bottom, was fully convinced that it was very dangerous to be overwise and was determined to set a watch before the door of his lips for the future. 
An opportunity soon offered for the trial of his resolution. A prisoner of state had just made his escape, and passed under the window of Zadig's house. Zadig was examined thereupon, but was absolutely dumb. However, as it was plainly proved upon him that he did look out of the window at the same time, he was sentenced to pay five hundred ounces of gold for the misdemeanor, and moreover was obliged to thank the court for their indulgence, a compliment which the magistrates of Babylon expect to be paid them. Good God, said he to himself, have I not substantial reason to complain that my impropitious stars should direct me to walk by a woodside where the queen's bitch and the king's palfrey should happen to pass by? How dangerous is it to pop one's head out of one's window? And, in a word, how difficult is it for a man to be happy on this side the grave? End of chapter 3